Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? I love Mondays because I've missed talking to you all weekend. For the show today, we're going to talk about CPAC highlights, Cubans protest communism, Democrats duck, FBI says turn in your family, and government at your door. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. It really is a funny thing. Every Monday I feel like I cannot wait to get in and talk to you, tell you all about Things have been going on over the weekend, and actually last week we were back east. My husband and I were back east visiting family. I have some great stories about the East Coast and the New Yorkers who love Trump. Um, but I want to talk today, at the first five especially, about CPAC. Over the weekend there was a mini CPAC in Dallas, and that's a conservative political action committee. CPAC is just a, a, a you know is a great choice of a name for this thing. CPAC's gone on for years. Uh, it was first just an annual conference. Now they're having kind of mini conferences. Uh, they had, and this is the first one in Dallas. And so, you know, a mini conference was just basically one full, no, it was two full days um, of speakers. But uh, it was just, anyway, it was just a fabulous conference. I want to tell you a few things about some observations and play a little clip of Pre President Trump. Uh, number one is one of the great things about CPAC, it's put on by ACU, the American Conservative Union, is it's filled with young people. I mean, there are people of all ages, of course, people of every race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color of all ages, but a lot of young people. And it's a really high energy event. Much of what the left tries to do in talking about America, talking about conservatives, talking about things like CPAC is to depict people as angry. These are just angry, bitter, or as um, President Obama famously said at one point, angry, uh, bitter clingers clinging to their guns and their Bibles. I mean, just, just an ugly depiction. I'm telling you, these are happy, well-adjusted, thousands of happy, well-adjusted, upbeat, happy people coming to talk about the ideas conservatism presents. So it was just a really, overall, a very fun conference. It happened that President Trump spoke there. He was the last speaker on Sunday afternoon. And because of that, because he was going to be the Sunday speaker, there was obviously extremely additional uh, security. And so you had to get there early on Sunday, wait in a long line uh, to go through the kind of really um, very severe sort of strict scrutiny um, of that it would happen as you would have the president of the United States or, or any uh, dignitary. I mean, the whole open your bags, check everything, walk to metal detectors and all that. So the line took a long time. I think my husband and I waited in line a little over 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And honestly, everybody in line is just talking, chatting. Oh, where are you from? I mean, we we're obviously from here, from Dallas, but there are people who came in from all over Texas and all over uh, Southwest US. So uh, there was just a very happy, upbeat field. I'm gonna play some clips by President Trump in just a moment, but I will mention some of the other speakers who were there and, and why they really resonated with people. Uh, number one, uh, there was a, a speech by Christy Noam, Governor Noam, and you know she's pretty popular among conservatives. She certainly was, especially during the COVID time, where she was saying, you know, we're not gonna shut down our state. We're gonna trust the people. We're going to give them information, trust the people. She gained a lot of popularity among conservatives then. Uh, she got a little bit of a ding among conservatives 
when she did not follow through and sign on to some legislation she had originally backed that was basically saying, you know, that uh, females, girls, anatomical girls get to compete in girls sports and guys have to compete in guys sports. And so the boys pretending to be girls cannot get to compete in women's athletic events. And she had backed the bill and then backed off from that. So that was like one little misstep. Still, she was excellent. She was kind of rock star. She was very good. Uh, she spoke very well. Uh, we have in Texas, and I'll be talking more about this in the coming weeks and months, we have a primary involving our governor. We have an incumbent Republican governor, Greg Abbott, and he is running for a second term, and or the third term, no, second term, I think, uh, next year. And he has brought out at least three Republican primary challengers, uh, Chad Prather, who is kind of uh, the least known among them, but people really like him. Uh, I don't know him yet. Uh, and then another gentleman named uh, Don Huffines, who happens to be a friend, lives in a, really lives near us, um, was a former state senator, very popular among conservatives, uh, served one term in the state Senate, and as the Democrats gained power in Texas, he did not win re-election. Rock solid conservative. And the third person who's filed um, to challenge the governor, Governor Abbott in a primary is Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. And you likely know, if you listen to my show, he's been on many times, uh, he is a formidable challenger. So both, um, I don't think Chad Prather spoke at CPAC, but both Don Huffines, former Senator Huffines, and a Lieutenant Colonel West spoke at the, um, at the uh, conference. And uh, I will tell you in the clips you're gonna hear in a moment, uh, you heard President Trump kind of calling out certain people, saying, oh, great hero, great that you're here, blah, blah. Called out Governor Christy Noem, which was great because she's, you know, she was there, uh, called out uh, our Texas Attorney General, um, who is Ken Paxson, also facing at least two primary challenges, maybe three. So, uh, so but anyway, point of, Gov uh, President Trump's there and he's, you know, pat he's just cheering on conservatives, calls out Governor Noam, did not, in a very notable absence, did not call out uh, Governor Abbott did not say in yay for Governor Abbott. He has endorsed Governor Abbott, but Abbott wasn't there. Many people assumed that Governor Abbott declined the speaking invitation at CPAC because he didn't think he would be well received by conservatives, and he may be right. But in any case, it was a very interesting conference. I mean, there were so many highlights to tell you, um, and I wanna just, I mean, they touch on very significant, serious issues facing the country. Um, they had uh, Pam Bondi of Florida. Uh, she was talking about the opioid crisis and the way in which those pushing the opioid crisis have uh, come in across the southern border um, and on how the very dangerous fentanyl, fentanyl um, is actually being woven into drugs that are bought on the street by unknowing people. People think they're buying a joint or a small amount of marijuana. But these fentanyl dealers who have brought it in over the border are lacing their, um, lacing the marijuana with fentanyl. Even small amounts can kill you. So she had some uh, really amazing stories along those lines. Um, I, I probably, will, as we go through the show, think of other people wanted to mention to you. But honest to goodness, it was upbeat, positive. President Trump spoke for an hour and a half. Uh, the speech was up on YouTube, I think, for like a nanosecond on the channel at YouTube that uh, the American Conservative Union has. YouTube's taken it down, but it's still up at the uh, website for the um, American Conservative Union, the CPAC website. Um, a lot of great speakers, but serious, substantive discussion, uh, back and forth on a lot of issues. I can't cover them all right now. I wanna go now and ask Matt to tell you in this first five, play this short clip of President Trump. From the lakes of Minnesota, 
to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, and New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. A wonderful, wonderful, not only political person, but a wonderful person, Governor Christy Noem. Thank you, Christy. Great job. We shut down the migrant caravans. You haven't seen those caravans. Get ready, because they're coming up right now. You've been watching them come through. And in those caravans, you have some deadly people. We dealt a Crippling blow to MS-13, we deported criminal aliens by the thousands and thousands and thousands, and we built almost 500 miles of border wall, the exact wall that the Border Patrol wanted. I thought we could use nice concrete plank, just knock it out. They said, sir, we want steel, concrete, and rebar. And it has to be wired, sir, so we can have all the drones the Democrat. Remember they wanted drones? I said, drones are not going to stop people. Do you remember the statement during the campaign? Two things, everything's obsolete, like two days after they come up with it nowadays, right? Computers, everything obsolete, they get a better one. Two things, right? What are they? Wheels and walls, they never change. In a thousand years, you'll say, wheels and walls. Walls work. Walls work. Just ask Nancy Pelosi, she has a nice wall around her house. Now the Biden administration has turned the border into the single greatest disaster in American history. And perhaps in world history, nobody's ever seen a border like this. Other countries don't have a border like this. Illegal border crossings are up over 1,000% from last year. Think of this. Think of this. For the last three months in a row, more illegal alien miners have arrived than any other month in United States history. This is the major pipeline for MS-13. These are the worst gang members, they say, anywhere in the world. Okay, I have to tell you, he went on and on. It was a great thing. One other thing I'll tell you about CPAC, and then I'll wrap up the first five. And it kind of ties to the rest of the things I want to talk about today in the show. The yearning for freedom in the human heart is universal. People are not born hoping to live in bondage to other people. People do not actually want to live under socialism and communism. They want freedom. The yearning of the human heart to be free is universal. It doesn't matter your race, skin color, ethnicity, national origin, or even, frankly, what country you live in. Now, some countries do not allow the kind of freedom that most people want, and people get used to living without freedom and they this is in fact if it's the only life they've ever known they say well i guess this is what life is you know you wake up in the morning the government tells you where to live where to go to school what your job you're going to be how much money you can earn where you can vacation what kind of car you own 
life is assumed in some repressive societies to be naturally involving government controls my life. I don't get to decide anything. And in America, where we had this, yeah, the beautiful song they always play at Trump rallies, but you know, proud to be an American, at least I know I'm free. The people who know what freedom is, and they know what socialism and communism are all about, they're the most awake. Unlike the woke, the alleged woke, they're the most awake. They truly can see how extremely radical the current administration is, and not just Biden personally, he doesn't even know what's going on, but the people running the American left, people running the Democrat party, people running the Biden administration, these are leftists. These are people who think the role of government is to control your life. And many people who love freedom, many people who know the difference between living in a free society where you have rights spelled out in the constitution, rights that are implied in the very formation of the country under the Declaration of Independence, people who know that idea, they are wide awake to how dangerous the current administration is wide awake to how radical, how leftist the current administration is. They see it and they know it. CPAC survives and CPAC grows in, in popularity because the spirit of freedom appeals to so many people because they will call in experts of all kinds, all issues, elected officials, experts of all kinds to talk about policy and often put it in the context or under the umbrella of the idea that people have the right to live in freedom. The inherent God-given right because you were born, as the Declaration of Independence implies, you have that right. CPAC, I didn't know until this current meeting. I don't go all the time. I think it only been maybe two other times. One other time for sure, maybe two. Anyway, I went to this one. And I didn't know until today that CPAC had actually had other international CPAC conferences, meaning they go to other countries. I knew they had CPAC in Australia last year, I think, or a couple years ago, but they've had CPAC, it turns out, in South Korea, packed. People showing up saying, yes, we want freedom, we want freedom, yes. South Korea. They've had CPAC in Japan. And countries around the world look to America, not the government of those countries, I mean, maybe some in the government, but the people, the millions or even billions of people around the world look to America and they count on America to demonstrate, to show the world that you can have freedom and still have a civil society, still have order. They count on America to demonstrate what freedom looks like, to show what freedom looks like. And so CPAC has found that their message of freedom this whole idea of the inherent right of men and women to live in freedom actually appeals to the yearning hearts all over the world. So there were little videos of CPAC in other countries, which actually, if it's in Australia, again, maybe that'd be my excuse to go to Australia. I'd love to go there sometime. But this CPAC, what you really were left with, despite the effort of the left to characterize CPAC as you know, kind of angry, far-right extremists, these are just main street mainstream, mom and pop, hometown, July and 4th fireworks type people. That's who are at, that's who's at CPAC. 
It's not extreme. It's not outrageous. It's not, I mean, as the, the, uh, the left would always try to depict, these are people who want, who have some crazy agenda. These people want the American agenda. They want America the free to be perpetuated. So very exciting weekend. I'll, I'll probably share more about it or think of more things to tell you about it. But I want to close out the first five by telling you what we're going to be talking about. Most of the rest of the show relates to this idea that people yearn for freedom, that America is supposed to be the beacon of freedom, the example to the world that shows that you can have freedom and still have society, that you don't have to have a repressive, tyrannical, central controlling government in order to have order. But people around the world are worried, as are conservatives in America, that America is slipping over the edge. We're losing freedom in America. We're more and more trending toward permitting government to control more and more of our lives. We're surrendering our liberty without even recognizing that it's happening. And, and to be clear, conservatives recognize. The people at CPAC recognize. Millions of people who voted for Trump recognize that, we're, that the freedom is under threat in America. That we're watching in Washington is not America as it's supposed to be. It's America as the left is trying to make it into, morph it into, change it into a government-controlled society instead of a society rooted on the right of freedom of the individual. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned at the start of the show, I want to talk about this, um, what's happening in Cuba. I meant to grab the clips, I didn't get to them, but there are people in the streets of Cuba, or, you know, this formerly lovely, it still is lovely in the sense of it's a beautiful island. It used to be a vacation destination with beautiful beaches and, you know, lovely sand and lots of sun. You know, people love uh, beach vacations. And then it was taken over by the communists. And so the communists have been in power a long time in Cuba, a long time. So the streets of Cuba are now filled with protesters, protesters in the millions. And so America's watching this, and, and certainly the Cuban population, those who got away and live in Florida, many in Florida, are watching what's happening in Cuba, and they're hoping that the American government will step up and say, yes, this is great, this is great, you know, stand up for your freedom, that's right, we are America the free, we believe in freedom. But that's not exactly what the message is coming from some people in America. And so I sent Matt the Wonderful one. Um, no, actually, I think I didn't get around to sending him the clip. No, I didn't. Okay, so I'll just have to tell you about it. So someone in the State Department, someone in the State Department put out a tweet saying, we support the right of the people to peaceably assemble. Speaking of the Cuban people, we support the right of the Cuban people to peaceably assemble, but stay calm, no violence. And, and there were Americans, including, uh, in fact, I wanted to get a, uh, a video clip of it, but Marco Rubio, uh, the, the uh, tweet, the video tweet he put out was in Spanish, and I didn't have a translation. But what's so amazing is to watch the response of the American government. We're supposed to stand for freedom in this country. We're supposed to be the ones saying, yes, freedom. This is what the people in Cuba are protesting. They're trying to say, we are tired of living under tyranny. We're tired of living under repression. That's why they're in the streets. They're demanding freedom. They're chanting for freedom. We want our freedom. But the State Department puts out, number one, one notice saying, you know what, keep calm, everybody calm down here. 
And you know what? I'm just going to ask this question for them and for you. How long, how long are the people of Cuba supposed to be calm? How long are they supposed to be peaceful? They're living under tyranny. They didn't even mean to elect this crazy communist regime. They elected Fidel Castro, who ran, he did not run as a communist, who told them, yes, I'm here to throw out the previous crummy, which was also a bad administration. And not until he came into power and told everyone in the country, turn in your guns, we won, the Cuban people won, we won, yay, yay, we're free. They turn all the guns in, turns out, you know what, I'm a communist and no one's leaving. And we're going to tell you where you can live and how you can live and where you get educated and how much money you can have. And we're going to tell you you can never leave unless we say you can. So the Cubans got duped into communism. They have lived under communism for decades. You finally have a protest in the streets. And the answer of the American people, most certainly the American government, ought to be, yes, we stand for freedom. But no, the State Department says no. Related to that, the New York Times put out a story trying to say that the people were in the streets. You have, I mean, you can't, the New York Times was saying the people in Cuba were in the streets because they weren't getting the COVID vaccine fast enough. I am not joking. They tried to attribute, they're saying the reason the people are in the streets, they're angry because they want this COVID vaccine fast enough and doggone, their government won't give them the vaccine fast enough. I mean, this is, in fact, they're, they're chanting outside of the Communist Party headquarters, out in Cuba, outside of the Communist Party headquarters, the protesters are chanting to the communist, Cuba isn't yours. Speaking to the communist party, Cuba isn't yours. And so, and fa in fact, I'll tell you, it was this, <laughs> I mean, seriously, you can hardly believe this was actually something coming out of the, uh, <laughs> coming out of the White House. Peaceful protests are growing in Cuba as the Cuban people exercise their right to peaceful assembly to express concern about rising COVID cases and deaths and medicine shortage. I'm sorry, that's not what's happening. And, and the White House, I assume, knows this. Even Bill Kristol, who's lost his mind as a conservative, who's in the la-la land of the you know, anti-Trumpers, finally had to say, even Bill Kristol, who's a truly no longer a conservative and, and somewhere in the, I mean, the realm of the crazies of the anti-Trumper, so anti-Trumper that they lost their political bearings, even Bill Kristol says, the peaceful protesters in Cuba also seem to be asking for democracy and freedom. It would be good if the U.S. government said that and supported them. Uh, yeah, duh. But you have, I mean, I, I ask you to really think about this. If you were a regime in Washington, you're the Biden regime, you're the State Department under Biden, you're the Biden White House, you can't bring yourself to say, we support freedom, we resist communism, we object to tyranny. And the reason they can't say that is because the current Democrat Party and the Biden administration are so far left themselves that they really can't do, be griping too much about what the Cuban government does. They are long down the path of socialism. Today's American left, anti-American left, today's Democrat Party run by who, who knows who's really running it, George Soros, Barack Obama, a bunch of the leftists who ran the Obama administration really running the country. They are not about to put out statements denouncing socialism. They're trying to bring it here. 
They're trying to bring it here. So they can't, they cannot get on board and say, wow, this is great. People standing up for freedom. It's the most amazing thing. So people in Cuba, um, I mean, there are people, uh, very, very hungry looking people, um, who are trying to say, we want our freedom. Uh, and then the other thing, by the way, in Cuba, what they're doing is rounding up these protesters, big Wall Street Journal on the uh, article on this, rounding up the protesters uh, and putting them in jail. Kind of proving the point the protesters are making, that they live under a repressive regime where they have no rights to free speech. They have no right to freedom of assembly. They have no right to say, why, tyrannical Cuban communist government, do we, are you still in power? Let your people go. We want freedom. This is what the Cuban people are saying, and you cannot get the American government to say it's a good idea. You certainly can't get the State Department to say it's a good idea. You can't get the New York Times to say it's a good idea because all of them are all on board with the leftists who are trying to bring that same ugly evil of socialism and communism right here to America. Even Bernie Sanders, you know, who would, you know, is uh, radical. I mean, he's a communist. He, I know he says he's a Democrat socialist. He's a communist and, and doesn't really think that's a bad thing. That's not name calling in his case. The whole squad the, the uh, very young members of the U.S. Congress who are all Democrats, the four of them, they're all radical leftists. And what they're watching in front of their eyes is the people of Cuba denouncing the very ideas that those crazy lunatic squad members are trying to inflict on America. And so they cannot sympathize. They cannot relate. They cannot empathize. They cannot speak up and support of the people of Cuba trying to overthrow the ugliness of socialism and communism because it's exactly what these people are trying to bring to America. Truly amazing. Never thought you'd see it in our lifetime. Truly amazing. So as we go on, you know, I mean, the Cubans are, you know, really, really, really uh, making a, a huge, um, a huge, taking a huge risk. I mean, anyone out there in the streets is taking a huge risk. I'll tell you one other quick story about communism. It's going to tie us in well to our next little story on the FBI turning in your own family. So I have a good friend here in Dallas whose uh, mother, who was born in Cuba, the mother was born in Cuba, and the mother, my, my friend's mother, escaped from Cuba, escaped under Fidel Castro's evil, repressive, tyrannical, socialist regime. So they get to America. They're finally here. They have freedom. They have family here. Everyone's celebrating. Uh, that they're, they got away from the tyranny of communism. So my, now that, that it's slightly relaxed in Cuba, Castro, you know, Fidel's gone, now his brother's running the place. They're, you know, it's you know, a little more, um, they're trying to lift on the tyranny, be a little less repressive. So people do go visit. I've had friends who've gone to Cuba, actually on the, some of the resorts were trying to open, go on vacation. And honestly, it's so ugly to go there. I mean, the beaches are beautiful, the water's beautiful. Who wouldn't love an island? In the, middle of, you know, in the middle of the ocean. But pro poverty and repression, which are always, the, always what follows socialism and communism, are evident everywhere. It's very hard to enjoy Cuba. So back to my friend. So she went to Cuba to visit family, some relations of her mother's, uh, who decided not to leave Cuba when, the, when my friend's mother left. So my friend goes down there, she's visiting relatives, and she's starting to fill them in on what her family is doing here in America. And in America, her family has people who are very politically active, people who are running for office, politically active, conservative Republicans. So she's telling this 
and her, to her family member in someone's home, and the family member still living in Cuba, you know, jumping out of her seat, going shh, and running over and slam, closing all the windows and turning up the music on a radio, a crappy, I'm sorry for that bad word, a crappy like FM radio, turning music up full blast. And then she said, my friend, you can't say those things here. The neighbors will hear you and they'll report us. If you think Cuba has anything to do with or is anything like a modern civilized society in which even a small amount of political discussion in private homes is permitted, you have no idea what you're talking about. I actually wish that someone like AOC would have to go live in Cuba for a year. I mean, not just prance around in Washington and talk like with the voice and gestures of a five-year-old uh, and ranting about the beauties of socialism and the evil of freedom, as she does all the time. She ought to have to go live in it. Go live in it for a while. But anyway, so on Cuba, on wrapping up this little segment of the show, the protesters want what Americans want. The protesters in Cuba, they want what the people who went to CPAC want. They want what millions of Americans want. They want freedom. They don't want tyrannical control of their country. And the Bernie Sanders, AOC, Biden White House, the entire cabal of the left running this country, they're fine with the repression in Cuba because it's the same mindset they have that this is the only way to have an orderly society. This is the right of government. They, they have to control the people. They have to tell them what to do. They have to tell them when they can do it. Government's job is to control the people. This is what leftists think. And so they cannot, even though I will say, I saw Biden put out some half-hearted, and whoever really wrote it for him, he didn't write it, but whoever wrote it for him, some half-hearted you know, support of the Cuban people or you know, we support your freedom, blah, blah. The left cannot oppose Cuba because Cuba is what the left is trying to turn America into. That's the bottom line. That's where we are. So I, I really urge you to follow the story in Cuba. I don't know how far these protesters will get in terms of making any progress. I mean, it, it does unfortunately seem in Cuba as though it's going to come to violence because communists, leftists, socialists, they never, ever, ever let go of power without being forced. They never agree that the will of the people should determine the future. They never agree that the, that the vote of a democratic republic, a, a, a people in any place, that the majority should get to vote and choose their government. Leftists always oppose that because once people figure out how repressive leftism is, they won't want it anymore. So in this country as well, as we are watching growing, growing consternation about what's occurring in Washington and the very repressive policies we're about to turn to and talked about in this country, you know, keep in mind, it's very, very difficult to convince leftists to let go of power once they have seized it, even if they seized it as Castro did by lying about his intentions, lying about his political ideology, misleading the people, or they gained it in America where they were people who may have gained power through election fraud. They're not going to give it up without a fight. Okay, I want to tell you something. Speaking of the Biden people, this FBI story, um, the story about the FBI turning your family. I think this is a thing I, I did send to Matt, the wonderful. Um, there was a tweet out. Yeah, okay. I want you to put up the whole tweet. So uh, first of all, the FBI put a tweet out 
The FBI actually tweets, interestingly enough. FBI puts out this tweet. It's on the bottom. So look at that. We'll leave it up for a while, Matt. The FBI tweet uh, says, Family members and peers are often best positioned to witness signs of mobilization to violence. Help prevent homegrown violent extremism. Visit go.usa.la to learn how to spot suspicious behaviors and report them to the FBI. Hashtag FBI. Hashtag NATSEC, which is national security. So FBI is encouraging family members to keep an eye on fellow family members to let them, you know, to give them a hint to help them recognize, you know, uh, there might be something going on in your home, your family, your friends, your parents, your kids, whoever, you know, something you think isn't right. Come on our website, read about what's, you know, what, what we think is dangerous and then turn them in. Turn them in. Okay, back to the tweet one more time. We put that back up there. So above that, so above that is Richard Grinnell. And if you know who that is, uh, first of all, he spoke at CPAC this weekend. Uh, he's a former, first he was the U.S. ambassador to Germany. He was acting DNI, director of national intelligence during the Trump administration. And he's now in California and he's running a, uh, an effort in California called Fix California. It's basically, you know, trying to take back California and fix the election system and all that stuff. So he was, he's very powerful, very dynamic. So he's tweeting, Grinnell is tweeting in response to the FBI. Grinnell is saying, this is outrageous. The FBI has a growing credibility problem and this type of sinister snitching is clearly unhelpful. Why hasn't the, at FBI, made more progress finding the BLM rioters from last summer? Why hasn't the, at FBI, leadership apologized for the Russian hoax they pushed? Okay, so I want to tell you that he's one person, Richard Grinnell, who responded to this FBI tweet. And, and well, by the way, he's coming on the show. Richard Grinnell is just texting with him this morning, I think in two weeks or so. Uh, we, got a, we set a date. He's going to come on the show. Uh, very, very impressive guy. Serious thinker. A lot of people were urging him to run for governor in California. I think he's not going to do that. But he is all about fixing California. And he's really, I mean, the fact that he would put up what you just saw is very significant. Because he's, you know, he's a very, um, he's hardly a right-wing extremist. You know, he's just a patriot. He's a guy who's a patriot. As I say, he was a temporary head, the acting DNI, Director of National Intelligence, very, very well respected in Washington. And he's calling out a fellow Washington agency, the FBI, and saying, are you kidding me? You're encouraging people to snitch on each other. And I want to tell you, I want to talk about this a little bit more before I turn to my last topic. I am not comparing anything in America to the Nazis right now. Having said that, in Nazi Germany, people, the citizens, became aware that the government was rounding up Jewish citizens. And they became aware that it was illegal to hide Jewish citizens in your home, in your basement, in your attic, wherever you did it. Not just Germany, really, but all over the Nazi-occupied area of Eastern Europe, then spreading into Western Europe. This is, I mean, Western Europe. The Nazis had made it clear they were going to round up the Jews and that it was a criminal act, an enemy act of the Nazis to help them hide. And I've often thought about that. You know, we every, periodically stories come out about just unknown bravery of citizens of Germany and other places in Western Europe who, 
you know, hid Jewish people in their home somehow, in their basement, in their attic, or in some other way, help them escape, help them get to another country where it was safe. And I've often thought about, you know, how creepy it was to live in that era and recognize that what you're deciding to do is obviously you're, you're taking your own life into, you're risking your own life because you're going to help these people escape the evils of Nazism. But you had to worry who around you is going to tell on you. And maybe the people around you would tell on you, not because they didn't kind of sympathize with the Jews, maybe they kind of felt bad about what was happening to the Jews, but they also wanted to protect their own necks. They wanted to say, hey, signal to the Nazis, hey, I'm helping the Nazis, look at me, I turned in so-and-so. And so you had people who were, you know, all the way with the Nazis and, and, and turning in people who were helping the Jews. You had people who were afraid for their own security and thought, well, you know, it's safer if I just go, look like I'm going along with the Nazis, so I'm going to turn so-and-so in. And so people engaged in this kind of saving other human, innocent human life had to worry not only that they be discovered, but had to worry about who around them, their own spouses, children, siblings, neighbors, relatives, had to worry who around me might endanger me because they'll turn me in. So what it caused them to do, no doubt, and I've read some stories like this, but it caused them to do is say, you can't ask a lot of people for help. You can't talk about what you're doing. You can't get the neighbors together and say, hey, you know, I've got a really great system here to help some of these poor, innocent Jewish citizens to escape or hide who's in, who wants to help me? Because you don't know what those people would do. They might turn on you, they might turn you in. And so this is, and, and this is a very uh, widely used and effective use, a uh, thing done by tyrannical governments. The Nazis knew exactly what they were doing. Not just that they were killing innocent Jewish people, but they were establishing a culture of fear where nobody's gonna talk to each other. Nobody's gonna say what I'm doing, I kind of sympathize, you really think the Nazis should be, no one's gonna do that. And everyone who is helping the Jews or helping in any way fight against the Nazis is going to be afraid to tell anyone, afraid to talk about the tyranny and the evil they saw. Now come back to America and where we are in 2021. The FBI is putting, the Federal National Security Agency, the FBI, funded by your tax dollars, is tweeting out to people across this country, enticing them to turn in their own family members for, and the language they use, uh, witness signs of mobilization to violence, homegrown violent extremism. And they actually, they send people to a website so they can learn how to spot suspicious behaviors. Spot, can't speak, spot suspicious behaviors. Now think about this. The Biden administration shortly after came to office actually had DHS describe as among the other things that were viewed as possible terroristic activity, speech, that involved challenging the outcome of the 2020 election. That people who were saying, I'm not too sure about the 2020 election, I think maybe something isn't right here. This government, this radical leftist government in power today, 
they were actually, soon after achieving power, through a very questionable election, started to include in a definition that DHS was going to use, Homeland Security is going to use, that terrorism could include people who challenge the outcome of the election. There were other categories. I can go back and review that. There was a show shortly after Biden uh, was inaugurated. So sometime in January, early February, uh, on this show, we interviewed Kyle Scheidler of the Center for Security Policy. And he was running through saying, yeah, this is actually what this regulation says. It was a proposed regulation. But I'm getting at who gets to define violent extremism? Who gets to define that? Is it, for example, now I thought it was pretty great when the government was, when you had a, in America, we had a real problem for a while with Islamic Jihad. We had jihadists, you know, attacking the Boston Marathon. You know, while we run through all the stories, the Florida nightclub, the California Christmas party, uh, I mean, the attack at Fort Hood, the attack on other military bases. We had many, many attacks done in the name of Islam by Islamic jihadists who said they were doing it because of, of, Islamic, of, of Islamic teachings. And so in that context, there were people saying, well, you know, if you see people, I mean, if you think some of your neighbors are sounding like they're about to commit jihad, sure wish you'd tell us ahead of time. I mean, I wish they would tell them ahead of time. I wish the, the mosque, I wish anyone, the Islamic community, who actually is worried that somebody else is going to commit a violent jihadist act in America, I would like them to turn that person in. So, I, and we did, and that was, of course, at the time when the Trump administration was trying to say, you know, can you let us know? Can you, can you help us out here? And the left was wild with criticism of that, about the whole idea, this is extreme, this is crazy. You know, we don't do this in America. And, you know, who are you calling extremists? Blah, blah, blah. So here we sit, here we sit. In July of 2021, the FBI is encouraging people to turn in their family members for, in the words of the FBI, um, signs, people, turning people who show signs of mobilization to violence, helping to prevent homegrown violent extremism. Well, are you an extremist if you very peacefully believe that there was election fraud? Are you an extremist if you, for example, are concerned about the uh, plans, apparent plans of the government to seize uh, weapons, to outlaw certain weapons owned in, by private citizens in America? Are you a threat if you disagree with the, what we're about to talk about next, the knocking on door uh, to the COVID inquisition squad coming our way? If you oppose that, are you an extremist? This is dangerous, and especially in this era with the left rising to power in Washington and all over the country, dangerous. The FBI puts this out. So I, I very much appreciated um, Rich, uh, Richard Grinnell, Rick Grinnell, others, other conservatives also spoke up saying, wait a minute you're gonna have the fbi urging people to turn each other in and this whole you know i've told this story in my show before but um there are there are many people who are a little older like my, my in-laws generation next generation up very very aware of how dangerous it can be when the concept is sewn into society woven into society that part of your job as a citizen is to turn in your neighbors. I remember my father-in-law commenting that years ago uh, when we had um, uh, we had a new we lived in California and they had a new regulation related to um, 
water use. And they had, you know, you're not supposed to water in certain days, whatever it was. They had some rules, which side of the road could water if you were an even or odd numbered houses, blah, blah, because of water shortage. So we had some neighbor obviously violating it, you know, just really wasting a lot of water. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I don't want to be a snitch. I don't like the idea of snitches. I didn't like him wasting water either, but I didn't, I'm not going to be a snitch. So my father-in-law was, happened to be at the house at the time. And he just said, you know, because the city had put out something saying, hey, you know, if you see someone violating this, you know, call 311 and report them. Tell them, you know, a neighbor at such and such address is, is watering. It's not his day. He's not allowed to water. And my father-in-law was just making the point, not just that, you know, you don't tattle, which I totally agree, never going to be a snitch, but he's making the point, it's a change in America's culture and a change in the way Americans think of each other, that you think your job is to monitor your neighbor's behavior and turn them in, especially for something as you know, non-lethal as uh, excessive water use. But this whole turn your, turn your neighbor in, the, the Nazis used it, other tyrannical organizations use it, or governments use it. Cuba, my friend's experience tells you what they were doing in Cuba. They were learning about Cuban society. Their own relatives were afraid to talk in their homes about what free people are allowed to do in America. Because my friend who was visiting knew that, that I mean, her, my friend who was visiting her relative, that relative knew her neighbors, some of them might overhear an innocuous conversation and turn them in and the government knocks on your door and says, hey, you know, we hear you're talking about, you know, whatever the topic would be. And so, I want to just leave this this idea about America. This is a extremely and extremely creepy thing that the FBI puts something out like that, especially in this era, especially when the left is expanding the definition of terrorism to pretty much include anyone who won't agree with them on everything they want to do. That's pretty much someone they find objectionable. Very, very alarming. Glad Rick Grinnell spoke up about it. Okay, one last story for today on the government's knocking at your door. So, President Biden, or whoever tells him what to say, um, announced that they are going to get to, they are now engaged in a door-to-door outreach, going to have door-to-door outreach teams going around the country, knocking on your door to check your vaccination status. And you know, if you, I'm telling you people, especially, you know, if you're, if you're 20 years old listening to this show, maybe you'll think, oh, that sounds reasonable which is part of the problem I'm describing. These things should not sound normal to Americans. But to some younger generation, yeah, sure, the government has the right to do that. Sure, the government has the right to, you know, check on you, find out what you're doing, uh, keep tabs on your behavior. Sure, this is a great thing. So Biden has announced that, that this is, you know, his idea that, you know, because he didn't meet, he had some percentage, I think it was 70% of Americans by July 4th or something like that, were supposed to be vaccinated against COVID. And because those that they didn't reach their goal, he's saying, well, we're going to have to really, really double down. He had this statement like, you know, we were first we were good with getting vaccinations done in major big centers, you know, high school gymnasiums, major locations, you know, like uh, herding cattle through the slaughterhouse. You know, he didn't say that. I'm saying that. But I mean, people running through, you know, one after the next cattle car kind of style getting people vaccinated. Well, they've kind of done that in the big cities and people who want to be vaccinated recognize they can be vaccinated. It's kind of all done. I mean, they they can do that. Other people um, are not getting vaccinated um, and, you know, and have chosen not to. In fact, there was some polling on how accurate it was, but saying 
the majority of those who are not vaccinated are not vaccinated because they don't want to be vaccinated. They don't want to take this vaccine. So Biden's plan is to send people door to door, knocking on doors, checking on your vaccination status. Fauci has said this is a good idea. Uh, NIH, I can't believe Fauci is still even in that office. But anyway, Fauci, HHS chief, says um, that absolutely, um, I mean, the uh, NIH uh, chief, absolutely, you know, we're going to have to start going door to door. You got to get people uh, vaccinated and you got to check on them. And he, so he's backing Biden all the way. And um, Biden is saying, you know, um, you know, this isn't the government doing this. In fact, Fauci's quote, I want to get this, Fauci's quote, you've got to go one on one. Fauci says door-to-door outreach is key to this new phase of vaccination effort. So Fauci is saying, yep, you got to do it door-to-door. Okay, that's one piece of this story. So, so Biden and Fauci, and Biden is saying, by the way, it's not going to be federal officers. It's not federal officers. It's just, you know, local volunteers, you know, your friends and neighbors. They'll, be not, they'll, they'll sign up for the vaccine, you know, door-knocking campaign, and they'll be at your front door. Great. So that's one piece of it. That next piece of it is um, that the question then arose, well, you know, what if you don't want to answer your door? Or what if you do answer your door, but you don't want to give the information? I've always said, even before COVID, I think there are, there's a some percentage of Americans very, very willing to ask other people nosy health questions. It just is a weird thing. Some people will just ask you. Most people don't. Some people will. So I have kind of gotten to a thing. I will say, you know, I don't discuss my personal health. Uh, with, you know, I, I just view my personal health uh, to be private, and so I don't discuss it with others. I, I don't discuss my personal health, period. And so it's a good answer if it's, you know, a stranger in the grocery store or someone at the door. And the other thing, of course, is you could not answer the door. That'd be one choice. If someone's at the door, you don't recognize them. But they're actually going to be starting this, and mostly in rural communities. It's rural communities where they think they can do this. And even with respect to the vaccine, uh, as as and other health things, when people ask, you know, well, have you gotten your flu shot? You know, have you gotten your COVID vaccine? You know, I, I don't discuss my personal health um, status with anyone. That's a really good answer. Just get used to saying, it. I don't discuss my personal health status with anyone. I mean, my healthcare provider, but not some stranger or even a friend. So now the question arises is, well, you know, do you have the right to say, no, thanks, I'm not going to comply. I'm not going to answer. Well, it's interesting because there are some constitutional scholars, lawyers, who are saying, you have no obligation to answer. If they ask you, if you answer your door and someone says, hey, you know, we want, you're checking on COVID, you get vaccinated, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can just say, uh, no, thanks. I don't choose to participate in this questioning. You know, thank you very much. Uh, and, you know, you can be polite, you can be not polite, but, you know, you can just say, I'm not going to participate in this um, inquisition or whatever word you'd use. Maybe you use a nicer word. I'm not going to participate in your project, in your information gathering project. I'm not going to participate. Plenty of constitutional scholars are saying, you have no right, you, you have no obligation to answer those questions. You can just say no. However, I've noticed that the uh, pro-vaccine crowd are now coming out. There are, for example, are statements out saying that HIPAA, the federal law HIPAA, that allegedly guarantees health privacy. And I gotta tell you, as a total aside, I'm pretty aware HIPAA, what it actually did was grotesquely expand the spread of your personal health data under the law that was supposed to protect your personal health data, because the exceptions written into HIPAA 
overrule or override all of the protections HIPAA put in. But that's an aside. So now there are people saying, look, HIPAA, as an example, does not give you the right. You have no right to say, uh, based on HIPAA, I'm not going to answer your questions. They're saying HIPAA does not allow you, does not give you the right to refuse to answer these people banging on your front door to make nosy questions, ask nosy questions about your health care status. So HIPAA doesn't protect you, but you know, you're not under arrest and you're not being even questioned for a crime. So I think many lawyers would say, lawyers would say you know, I, 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 I decline to participate. Thank you very much. You know, please leave. I, I think you can probably say that, but there will be more pressure if people don't comply and more statements coming out of the government saying, you know, actually, you're going to comply. You have to comply, which leads me to a statement by the HHS chief, HHS chief, Xavier Becerra, uh, starts with a B, Becerra, um, who in an interview said, it is absolutely the government's business to know which Americans have been vaccinated. He was asking a question. Someone's saying, you know, or he's answering a question. Why do people have to tell you if they're vaccinated? It's none of your business, which he said, yes, it is. It is the government's business to know who's been vaccinated. Well, now he's trying to, he got a lot of pushback. He's trying to backpedal and say, well, you know, I didn't really say that. And he said, I, I, you know, I mean, I did say that, but I didn't really mean that. He's basically saying, um, uh, in fact, it was Republicans in Congress that said, hey, you, you can't just go. I mean, you, you don't have the right because you happen to head up HHS to gather and collect personal health information uh, from around the country by sending out legions of nosy people knocking on people's doors. You don't have the right to force them to answer. And he said, his first statement was, it is absolutely the government's business um, to know which Americans have been vaccinated. Well, now he's trying to say, you know, uh, I, I, my, my statements were taken out of context. He's also saying the government has no database tracking who is vaccinated. We're encouraging people to step up to protect themselves and others by getting vaccinated. So he's saying you're not keeping a database. Well, I just want to say I will call, what's a good word, hogwash on that. If you actually think the federal government is going to send out legions, thousands, tens of thousands of volunteers around the country to rural areas, whatever other areas they go, knock on people's door and say, hey, we're here, we're from the government, we're here to help you, we're just a friendly check-in, you know, have you been vaccinated? And, you know, uh, whatever, you know, Tom and Susie Thompson say, no, we haven't. You think the government people are going to walk away from your door, the volunteers, and not keep a record of that? Of course they are. Of course, it's absurd. And the people who do say, yes, you know, uh, Jill and Johnny Johnson over here, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, good, there, check them off. The idea that you can trust that the government will not collect this information in response to door knocking when they collect information on everything else you do all day long is absurd. Of course, they're going to collect information. And so I raise this to say I have a real, um, I want to tell the story about today because I really have a problem with the notion of invasion of privacy and a problem with the notion that in our country, COVID, which was grotesquely overreacted to. I mean, we had COVID come along and we had this grotesque overreaction where we are now a year later with people afraid to go out of their homes, still many afraid to go out of their homes, afraid to go out without a mask, worried. I, I mean, just we, we haven't done these stories in a while. And, and now you have the government literally preying on those fears. P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, preying on those fears. 
recognizing that people are afraid and they're probably going to surrender their privacy. They're probably going to tell us the answer to everything we want to know because we've made them so afraid and we've made them so submissive. We made them so subservient that when we knock on the door, we say, you have to tell us. So, okay, I'll tell you. And I just tell you folks, this is how you begin to lose privacy. It's how you begin to lose the presumption of privacy. The presumption, it's not really the government's business to knock on your door to find out whether you, you know, floss every day, whether you eat too much fatty food, whether you're overweight, whether your diet is unhealthy, how much you exercise, or anything else related to your health. If the government said they I was at your door today saying, I want to know the following questions, you know, weight, height, uh, exercise routine, amount of fat you ate, how many chocolate bars have you had this week? I hope most people would say, I'm not telling you that. There's no reason the government has to know the answer to these questions. But the fear of COVID, the overreaction to the COVID crisis or pandemic, was even a, I guess it was a pandemic briefly, but the COVID issue has changed the way we think about our right to preserve our privacy in America. And when you start to surrender that, when you start to say, well, yeah, you know, we used to in America think we had privacy, but if the government comes knocking at your door, you have to answer this, you have to tell them this. It is not just a legal, a narrow legal issue of whether or not you must answer the government. It's not just that narrow legal issue. It's the broader perception of your right to freedom in a free society, your right to privacy, the right to the idea, the idea that you just presume in America, you don't have to answer the government's questions just because they ask. Now, if you're a suspect in a murder case and they're at your front door and they're about, you know, you, you have to cooperate in questioning sometimes or you may end up, you know, being taken to jail. I mean, but you're not being accused of wrongdoing. You're just in your home, you know, whatever you're doing, at your computer, writing an you know, email to your grandmother, whatever you're doing, the government doesn't have the right to show up to your door and start asking you personal health questions. And if we surrender that, it's, a, it's one of those, you know, slippery slope. Well, we all went along with COVID. We all said, okay, we'll tell you whatever you want to know. Now, you know, I mean, we have this kind of crisis. We're going to tell you again what you want to know. It's the loss of the sense loss of a primary and primal idea about America, that we are individuals with the right to freedom, to live in freedom, and the right to privacy, so long as we are not you know, robbing banks and hurting other people. You have the right to live in your home in privacy without government intrusion into your privacy. And that's what this issue raises. A lot more to say on this, but I believe I'm out of time. Our happy show for today. Um, I will tell you very quickly, go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. americacanwetalk.org. Very soon we're going to have on that, on that website announcement and ticket availability for our conference coming up in September, September 18th. And it's going to be a great summit in Dallas. You'll read more about there. But on our website, you can find links to the stories we talked about on the homepage, under shows, drop down list of links. You can find all these links. You can also find on our website a subscribe button. Hit that subscribe button. It's a once a week newsletter. It's free. I send it on Friday or sometimes Saturday. But a weekly newsletter that covers a week's shows the previous week. Great way to catch up on the weekend. Great way to share it with your friends. I also urge you to join America Can We Talk. 
This is a show supported by listeners, supported by you, my friends, my listeners, my very fine friends. Joining America Can We Talk is not expensive. It is very simple. On the website, on the homepage, pick members across the top of the homepage. The page pops up, hit join now. You can join for $50 a year, 50 $50 a year, practically free, and or $5 a month. And the thing that that allows you to get is access to our Thursday members only shows. And you will care about our Thursday members only shows. This coming week and just three days from now, we have Congressman Louie Gohmert joining us in studio talking and Congress Louie Gohmert, if you do not know Congressman Louie Gohmert, beloved by conservatives around the country, uh, just a, he's humorous, he's insightful, he is brilliant, he's thoughtful, just a great show and only available to members. And to be a member, you do the sign up I just told you about and on Thursday at showtime, you go to our website and it's the only place a show will air is on our website. You can watch it there and enjoy that interview. And every Thursday is a very special members only show. Louis Gohmert this week, nearly positive Alan West next week. I've been texting with him this morning, trying to get settled on the date, I think next week. Following week, Dr. Bartlett, who is one of the major doctors around the country, speaking up about the fact that there were very efficacious treatments available for COVID. While we were still hearing out of Washington that the only hope you had was sit at home and hope you didn't die and wait for a vaccine. And Dr. Bartlett, one of the brave doctors around this country, speaking up and saying, actually, there are plenty of currently available, inexpensive therapies, treatments, drugs that actually help and relieve COVID. You don't have to sit around. So he's gonna be on that last Thursday. So great member shows and is a way, if you like this show and you appreciate the information you hear here, it's a great way to support this show. This is a member-supported show. I would love to have you join. Now we'll turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our first topic today on CPAC highlights. Uh, so much fun. CPAC was in Dallas, sold out crowd, youthful, wholesome, high energy, happy. CPAC in Dallas was a traveling version of the main CPAC, normally in Washington, held in Florida this year, similar to CPAC in South Korea, in Japan, and Australia. Google and YouTube has already taken down Trump's speech at CPAC in Dallas, but I have a link to it on my, if you go to my show, you can find a link to it. The yearning for freedom is universal among those who understand and have experienced it. Leftist indoctrination cannot forever suffocate or deny that yearning. America's social <clears throat> media giants are out of touch with why Trump and the MAGA agenda are so enduringly popular across America. Their totalitarian censorship habits are damaging them but they are too arrogant to see it or believe it. And on Cubans protest communism, Democrats duck. Millions of Cubans took to the streets this past weekend to protest the deprivations and degradations of living under communism. The New York Times said the protests were about not enough COVID vaccines. Uh-huh. The Biden State Department urges calm, but does not make clear when do Cubans get to do what Black Lives Matter and Antifa get to do in the USA. And that's a really good point. Biden State Department telling the Cuban protesters who actually are repressed to stay calm. I don't recall them putting out or anyone in the government putting out similar message to the leftist supported BLM and Antifa. Longtime Castro cheerleader Bernie Sanders, notably silent. Forever the truth, communism and socialism generate dark, depressing, joyless societies 
Will enough under 40 Americans wake up in time to reject them here in America? FBI, turn in your family. Authentic Biden FBI tweets encourage American family members to turn in other family members who might be edging toward extremism. And extremism can include questioning the 2020 election results. This is a direct assault on the family unit. How far is round up the extremists, the Nazis, round up the Jews? This is a very dangerous time we're in, my friends. Most Americans, most human beings sense that a snitching culture is an ugly culture, eventually drives everyone to distrust everyone else, to confide in no one, to stay silent for fear of the authorities, and therefore to repress the First Amendment. The Biden administration or whoever is rolling out this agenda is wildly overstepping. The overwhelming majority of Americans are not fooled by this and they will not accept it. And the last one, government at your door and why it matters. Fauci is urging door-to-door -door vaccination monitoring and encouragement from federal government activists, employees, or local people helping out. For a disease with a 99.8 plus percent recovery rate without the vaccines, for a disease with clinically proven therapies apart from vaccines, such as hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and budesonide, news of which is willfully suppressed by big tech and Fauci still. For children who have almost no risk of death or even serious illness from the disease, and for vaccines that the CDC reports have caused over 9,000 deaths in the US. And we'll talk about that more later in the week. Partisans on each side will debate the legalities of this action and the potential for it to lead to other government door-to-door -door actions, but American patriots already know. This is not how American freedom looks and feels. If the Biden administration were trying to provoke rebellion, what would it do differently from what it is already doing? Great concern that Biden administration is actually trying to provoke rebellion, but we'll go there another day. So my very fine friends, this is America Can We Talk for today. I am Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so very much for tuning into my show every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can